Welcome to the What She Said podcast. My name is Candace Sampson. I am currently in the middle of divorce proceedings, working towards my psychology degree, dating for the first time in 20 years, raising three teenage girls, a senior dog, and two guinea pigs. And in the middle of all this, I thought it would be a good time to buy the What She Said media property. What could possibly go wrong? I've been in the trenches with women across Canada for over a decade now, oversharing on the Yummy Mummy Club, Life in Pleasantville, and on all my social media pages, and I totally do it for the gram. And now I'm coming to you on the radio at 105.9 The Region and on this podcast. Apparently, I have a lot to say. So let's get rolling. I think it's probably fair to say that parents have a whole new appreciation for teachers and their worth. COVID ripped our kids from their classrooms and plopped them into our living rooms for learning. And we suddenly had a small insight into what teachers are dealing with daily. And yet, struggling with all the hardships we are all dealing with, the teachers still showed up for our kids. I say this from personal experience as I watched a team of teachers and counselors cheerlead my 15-year-old daughter past the finish line this year with constant check-ins, Zoom and Google meetings, texts and phone calls. The teachers still came through. So now what? As much as they all truly deserve their summer off, many will be figuring out what does the return to school look like in two short months? That's the question I had for Laura Walton, president of CUPE's Ontario School Board Council of Unions that represents 55,000 education workers across Ontario. We jump into the government's plan, and I put that largely in air quotes, to teaching during COVID, Black Lives Matter, and more. I can't promise any more answers at the end than at the beginning because 2020 is the gift that just keeps giving. But maybe you'll keep Laura's words in mind when frustration with how school will look after Labor Day starts to wear you down this summer. Hi, Laura. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I have to tell you, uh, just on a personal note, I have spent the last week, well, actually, I haven't. My daughter's teachers, counselors, vice principal, they have been dragging her ass across the finish line <laughs> this last yeah. week. And I have to give big thanks to them and to all of the teachers in Ontario who have just been working tirelessly since March 14th, roughly. Yep. Wow. What a year for you guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And March 14th was my birthday. And I said that um, March 14th, 2020 was like the worst birthday party ever. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, it just, it started this, but uh, definitely it has been um, a year of chaos. Um, you know, even when we started in September, we were starting with some uncertain footing. Um, and we knew that we had some fights that were going to be happening, um, both education workers and teachers. Um, and it just, it's never, I feel like we've never caught our breath, right? This entire school year has just been like, oh, and then, and then I'm, I, I said it, it often reminds me of how my, uh, my youngest nephew tells me a story. Um, you know, you get to a good part and then, oh, and then, and that's how this whole year has gone. <laughs> well, it seems like, you know, I swear it was only maybe a couple of weeks before we went into lockdown and I had, did a, I had done an interview with somebody about the strike. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and that just quickly washed from, you know, the, 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 our memories because we were right into panic mode. We all were obviously. So where did that go? What happened with that? So, um, so I represent education workers. Um, so we were fortunate. Um, we took a different approach to it. Um, and our members, we have 55,000 of them across Ontario and, and they were very clear to me that, you know, work over the summer, last summer, let's get started. Let's see where we're going. So education workers in Ontario, um, the majority of them had settled an agreement by November. So we then just turned our mindset into supporting our teaching colleagues. Um, so OECTA, um, the Catholic teachers, the elementary teachers of Ontario, the secondary school teachers of Ontario, and the Francophone teachers. Um, and so we had spent a great amount of time um, supporting their picket lines, supporting their efforts, doing what we needed to do. And then you're right, pandemic happened. And I know that it was a challenge, right? Because you're shifting gears. Um, but I have to say kudos uh, to those bargaining teams that in the midst of what is, you know, once in a lifetime kind of situation, um, we're able to continue negotiating with the government and working towards deals that would ensure that folks uh, were able to continue providing services to our kids. Because at the end of the day, that's what's the most important for us is providing those services to our kids. So I'm wondering if, you know, I, I'm just thinking behind the scenes here, what happened? Because, you know, like, you know, we all went into lockdown, everybody's <laughs> lives changed. Yeah. Was there ever, you know, a plan for this type of, of shift in teaching? No, I think if anything, um, you know, people will say to me, oh, well, look, it, you know, online learning is working. You know, why were you folks all fighting so hard against it? And I say online work learning is working for some, for others like my son. It was a horrendous experiment, um, one in which I never want to repeat ever again in my lifetime if I can avoid it and in his lifetime as well. Um, so, you know, it wasn't something that um, I think any of us really wanted to do. But then when you're faced with the reality that these students aren't going to be in school, how do we deliver curriculum, period? How do we deliver um, even educational support? And that was really hard. And so, yes, we did turn to some online learning, but I think it also highlighted some huge gaps, right? And just what kids actually go to school for. Um, and, and that's one thing that I think when we're heading, when we're talking about let's reopen, I think we need to address those gaps um, because kids need that social time at school. I don't know about your children, but mine, have, I've really noted the lack of that social interaction with their peers face-to-face, -face, not on a video game, not on a Zoom meeting, but like face-to-face -face interaction with their peers. Um, I think they also, it also has shown me with my own children that need to like get up and go somewhere else to do a task um, and not try and make the home be everything, like just your world for everything. And so um, that's one of the things as education workers, our workers really struggled with was how does an EA support a student with special needs when we aren't able to touch them or, you know, because, you know, normally we do sensory breaks and we do um, physiotherapy exercises, all of those things we couldn't do. And that's a key part of some of those, those children's they're they're learning and and they were completely gone so um unfortunately i think you know i don't know if we're going to have a time to even really do what i think what is what we need to do is like actually press pause and say okay what did we learn from this and i don't know if that's ever going to happen like i feel like it's just we're going to roll back into school as normal and and everyone's going to go whew, 
we dodged the bullet of a pandemic. And, and, I'm, and that makes me sad because I really think we need to be taking a, a pause and saying, what did we learn from this? And, and what did um, we learn about children during this and what children need? Absolutely. I mean, this really was an experiment on a massive scale and to not <laughs> take the time to actually look at, you know, the pros and the cons, what worked, what didn't, um, would be almost neglectful really at this point. Yeah. Because there were some, you know, you mentioned, for example, sensory uh, breaks. And mm -hmm. we know from the science that this screen uh, you know, that we all look at, that's very, uh, you know, it attacks all of our senses. Yes. It really does suck us in. And yeah. um, it becomes about consuming, not creating, which is not obviously good for the brain. No. Um, so how, how do we address that with online learning? Yeah. And so, you know, when the, the government came out and announced how we were going to go back to school this fall, <laughs> you know, my peers, it was just mass confusion. What, yeah. what do we do? Uh, you know, and everybody has different, um, different scenarios, younger kids, older kids, kids in yeah. elementary and high school, uh, kids with needs, kids without. So it, it really is very um, huge. And I, I realize that this is a massive issue. <laughs> uh, so I'm wondering right now, as we are hitting the end of June and, and, and I know all too well, because my, my kids' teachers were just doing grades yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> now that we're going to get a little bit of a break, I hope, is there going to be time to at least do some planning? Because as I understand it, it is now on the boards to establish how school looks. In the yeah. Class. So last week we were told, and, and we had been pushing, um, and, I, and I think, you know, talking to the other, my, my colleagues from other teachers unions, we all had been pushing um, the fact that there needs to be a provincial directive. There is no provincial directive. Um, so uh, the provincial directive is more of a guidance document that says, hey, school board, you figure it out. Um, and that is a little bit worrisome for me because um, I think we've seen kind of what happens when we allow everybody to just kind of do their own thing. When you look at long-term care homes, when you look at it, and, and people are like, well, Laura, like a school isn't the same as a long-term care home, but we're all in the business of caregiving, right? And at the end of the day, we're an institution that provides care. So we need to be looking at those things. So um, I'm really worried because I think one of the things that um, is always in the back of my mind is summer in education. Um, I always say that I have two New Year's. One is in September and one is in January. And that's because summer for people who are in education, A, is a bit of a time where we press pause and we kind of regroup and we, after providing 10 months of care, we are doing some self-care. Um, there's a lot of professional development that people do during that time um, to prepare for the next year. Um, and then, of course, we have a government that just threw a new math curriculum on us at the same time as all this is going on. So there's a lot of stuff that needs to be unpacked and then reorganized. Um, and it worries me that I feel like we're just like channeling on and, and, and there isn't, that doesn't seem to be a pause. Um, but I think you're right. I think like there needs to be a pause and there needs to be a, what is best for our kids? Um, and one of the things that I said when talking to the Ottawa citizen a couple of weeks ago, as I said, for me, this is something that I think we need to get right because we can't afford to get it wrong. I and, would agree. <laughs> and so I just, I'm really, we are encouraging our members. We're working with the teachers um, to say, hey, like school boards need to be talking to the people who actually are in the classrooms 
uh, the people who are actually in the schools. Um, you know, someone like your um, sec school secretary has a wealth of knowledge about how school goes back and how timetables get put together and how schedules get put together. Um, they need to be consulted on how we're doing this. Um, and right now there seems to be this, well, let's get it done because we need to have it done. And I, I worry about that. I really, really do. And then I think the second big problem that I have is that in order to do this right, it's going to cost money. Um, and that seems to be something that nobody really wants to talk about. Um, and, you know, so I, I'm in a different world. I have one heading off to university next year, one who's going to be heading into high school next year, and then I have a nephew who is still in the primary grades and another nephew who's still in the elementary grades. Um, you know, I'm looking at this and saying, those schools need to be cleaner. Mm -hmm. they need, there is no excuse. There is no excuse for a school board to be doing every other day cleaning. They need to be doing every day cleaning, twice a day cleaning, probably three times a day cleaning. And let's not even talk about where we're going to go with the washrooms, because I think there almost needs to be somebody standing at a washroom ready to clean it uh, after these children uh, use it. So, but that's going to take staffing and that's going to take product clean. And I haven't seen anything from this province that actually indicates to me that they've said, oh yeah, we're going to need to do that and we're going to need to make that investment. And that to me is what it is. It's not an expenditure. It's an investment. It's an investment in ensuring that our kids are safe. And uh, that doesn't seem to be part of any real conversation other than from what I'm hearing from our teacher colleagues and ourselves. I'm not hearing much from the province at all about the investment that is going to be required. And that's something that I think parents need to be looking at and going, wait a minute, what's going on here? Yeah, I think from the parents' point of view, there's a, there's a few concerns here. So the first one is obviously health. Uh, we are still very much in a pandemic, and as much as yeah. we have you know pandemic fatigue and we like to think it's not there, it's still yeah. here, not going bold. anywhere. It's going to be around. So that's the yeah. number one concern, obviously. And as a parent, um, you know, we all know it really is just a matter of the first or second week before the first sniffle comes home from mm -hmm. school. So you know, um, and that is. In the past, that's, that's sort of fine. It's a common cold, whatever. Now, yeah. it's a much bigger concern. So yes, cleaning is obviously going to be an issue, yeah. and I think that that is largely unanswered for parents. The second thing I think that parents are concerned about, probably, is that it feels a little bit like every man for himself right now, and that this is going to really just um, make the gap bigger in the inequities but for students who have money and students that don't, uh, you know, because parents are going to be looking for alternatives to public yes. education if public education is not going to be able to deliver yeah you know, what their student their and that is that is a real concern of mine because I think one thing that Ontarians parents in Ontario should be proud of is our publicly funded publicly delivered education system um, we have amazing teachers and education workers that ensure that um, and I think you're completely bang on I think everything to do with this pandemic in my mind has highlighted inequity um, and, and, and it's not just even um, socioeconomic, but it's just what people in general are able to do. As a parent myself, I have not, I can confess, I am not a good stay-at-home mom. <laughs> um, I really struggled with trying to manage my career and maintain, and I'm an educator, so that's it, you know, truth be told, but be able to support my children and their learning um, and still be their parent right? Because those are two different relationships, right? An educator versus a parent. Um, and it isn't always possible. And then you throw that into the mix with these plans of, well, let's go to school every other day, or let's go to school one week and off one week. And I keep going, 
well, who's looking after these children when they're not there? And this assumption that parents have that type of flexibility within their, their work, within their, their employer to say, oh, well, this is the week I'm on and this is the week that I'm off. I think it's really, it's really highlighting kind of an inequity um, in itself. And, and I think there's also like, I'm concerned as a woman because I think that we're really, the pandemic has really shown that disparity within women, right? And the need that, you know, childcare is, needs to be on the forefront. And, you know, there's um, the Toronto Star, they were just talking about there can be no recovery without a she covery, right? And with a real focus on women, uh, female-centric, um, what do we need in order to continue on? Um, there was another really good article about how many women are leaving the workforce due to the pandemic because they just were not able to juggle all of those things. And I can totally see how uh, that may happen. So those are all factors that I think we need to, as a society, really think about because I think we're at a big turning point. And it can either go really, really south or we can band together and ensure that it goes really, really well. Um, and I would hate for people to kind of turn their back on public education um, because I think public education, I always go back to the fact that there's a reason why our great grandparents fought for this to happen. Right. Yeah. And, you know, they, there, you know, there was a point where, you know, even my grandmother tells me the story about how she was so fortunate because she was able to continue on to high school, but her parents had to pay to board her somewhere. Uh, right. Because there wasn't a high school in their community. And, and so she always was very, um, very much uh, focused on us all getting our education for that reason. I always go back to the fact that there is a reason why they fought for us to have a public education and it's ours to uphold, not ours to dismantle. And so I think we really need to be taking a look at um, what good things come from publicly funded public education. And then also realizing that as parents, we have the loudest voice to make change. We just have to use it collectively. Yeah, and I, th this is, again, my concern is that this, this is gonna be an opportunity to tear apart public education mm -hmm. and really, I think this is, like you said, you know, we have to band together because instinctually as a parent, yep. we want to see our child advance at their best. And we're yes. going to be looking for options and other things to do and, and, and so on and so forth. However, it's the old summer camp mentality, right? My child right. plays hockey, so they're going to go to every hockey camp. <laughs> but the greater good is a strong public education system, which even parents who can afford to send their, chi their children to private school should be supportive of a strong uh, yes. public education system because it is honestly the basis for everything in our society. Yes. We, we mentioned it as a cornerstone. That was how we've always talked about it is that it's a cornerstone. And when you see communities that have strong public schools within their communities, you see a very healthy, strong community. Um, and, you know, it's one of our fights um, you know, I look at it in one of two ways, you know, yes, we can say, hey, like, let's go private. But then I also look at it and say, this pandemic has also highlighted some of the reasons why we shouldn't have mega schools and classrooms packed full of students. And, you know, um, you know, not having community schools and having children bust substantial amounts of miles away so that they can go to school. Um, I see it as these are some of, this is our opportunity to fix the things that we've just been saying, oh, well, that's not so bad. And say, no, this isn't right. We need to have smaller class sizes. We need to have community schools. We need to have proper transportation. We need to have, you know, outdoor play, right? Instead of always being in a classroom. We even need to look at, do we need to be providing, um, one of the things that was mentioned to us is, do we need to go back to having that school nurse system? Because you raised it earlier about, you know, we all know week two, the sniffles come home. And I think to myself, 
you know, the sniffles come home because we don't have enough people cleaning and we've got too many people jammed in the classroom and we don't have a school nurse the way we used to. Uh, It's funny that you mentioned that. That honestly just brought back a flood of memories (laughs) for me of the school nurse because obviously I, you know, I'm I'm 50 and I remember having a school nurse and, you know, you would, if you didn't feel well before a single call was made to a parent, you went to see the nurse. Yes, And she was the one, she was sort of like triage. She decided (laughs) if it was important enough for a call to be made to your parents to disrupt their work day. Yeah. And really, uh, you know, that is such, you know, thinking back on it, really, it was, it's something we should still have in the schools. We should. And well, not only that, but it also is somebody um, who you're, you're right about triaging, not just so much when the kids were, my mom was a school nurse, full disclosure. So not just, uh, you know, when people are coming into at school and want to go home sick, but also if a child arrives, as educators, we used to be able to say, can you go see the school nurse? And the school nurse would be able to say, oh yeah, they've got, you know, chickpox or they've got something, let's get them home. Um, and it was a medical professional, right? And so there's some of these things that I just think they have gone by the wayside and we've cut them off saying, hey, we don't need these. These are just another drag on the system. And I'm saying, let's take a look at some of those great things and remember why they did so well. And, and I remind people that, you know, that's some of the reason why people have fond memories about how school was when they were younger is because those proper public services were put into place. Okay, so I mean, the pandemic obviously is one thing, but we've also seen a huge societal shift right now with Black Lives Matter and a big focus on that. Yes. You know, how is that impacting the conversation with the school boards and, you know, sort of going forward and moving forward from this point? So I think we're seeing some, you know, amazing things happen. Um, First thing I have to say is kids. Students are, are living through this. Uh, students are seeing it. They are critically thinking about it. They're talking about it. Uh, my daughter and myself went to a Black Lives Matter. We live in Belleville. It's a little tiny city. Uh, we went to a Black Lives Matter rally um, where it included Black, uh, Indigenous, and people of color uh, because my daughter was like, Mom, this is important to me. So for me, that's the first thing. I think we have a generation of kids that for the first time are starting to critically think and understand the role that we as citizens need to play to ensure that there's equity in society. And I think that is like kudos to the kids. I, uh, I can't say enough to them. Uh, but then we're also seeing things like Peel, where the director has been removed um, because of the lack of um, work being done around anti-black racism. Um, you know, I'm not going to comment on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing because it's just happened. I don't know what the outcome of that's going to be. Um, but I do know that it's something that even within our organization, uh, we have put a real focus on equity. Uh, we have struck a um, inclusive and diverse workforce uh, where we have that in our collective agreement actually with the government that it's a work for, a working group to start pushing towards having more inclusive and diverse workforce within the schools because our belief is children should be able to see themselves reflected in the people that are providing them service and the people should be reflective of their communities that they're serving and we know that's not happening right now and we need it to happen and we need to have those sometimes uncomfortable conversations to recognize that this needs to happen and how, what do we do as educators? What do we do as teachers um, to ensure that we're supporting that? And then also to ensure that we are not furthering inequity. And I think that one of the things that I loved hearing from educators and teachers is they were very loudly saying, this isn't working because it's not equitable. 
right? It's, and, and, and I think that's something that, you know, uh, the government needs to hear as well. This is not equitable. Just providing a whole bunch of iPads does not make equity. That, that isn't, it's, it's like putting a Band-Aid on. That doesn't fix inequities. Um, and so it's going to be some, some very deep conversations. And I think, you know, there's a reason why all of this, I think, is bubbling up to a head all at the same time. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's ours to press pause in our own lives and do some reflection and, and see how we can move forward. So what do you think are the priorities right now then heading into fall 2020? Uh, do you have a list of top priorities? I do. <laughs> I do. I do have a list of top priorities. Um, I think the first thing that we need to be doing is coming together as a group. Um, that includes teachers and education workers and directors and superintendents. All of us need to come together and say, how is this going to happen for our schools? How are we going to provide the best service that keeps our students safe? And then collectively, we need to be making demands to the province to fund it. Because I think we all know it's going to take money to do that, right? So that's the first. My first priority is having those collective conversations and, and recognizing that this is not a time for uh, getting rid of anyone. This is a time to actually build further supports. Um, I have huge concerns even with the level of supports that are going to be happening for special needs kids. Um, I know as an education system myself what it's like trying to transition someone back after two months school, we're now going to be transitioning children back after six months away from school. Um, you know, I have a 14-year-old who I used to make a joke that was taking night school because he was up much later than I was and, you know, noon was a good time to get up. There's going to be a lot of transitions for these children as they come back into school and they're going to need mental health supports, they're going to need academic supports uh, in order to make sure that happens. And so we need to be talking about how is that going to be delivered and how is that going to be funded. And then I think we need to be taking a look at how do we move forward so that this just doesn't become a, oh, this happened because of pandemic, as opposed to we learned this because of the pandemic and here are the changes we need to make in order to be better. And, and so that's the next priority that we're looking at is learning from the pandemic. Where were their issues and what do we need to do to make it better? Because I think the, the pandemic, thankfully, I guess I could say that, um, has really shown, really highlighted some of the holes in our publicly funded, publicly delivered education system. Um, and we need to do that. And then I think on the side, um, the pandemic has also really showed some holes in our society. And what we had maybe been holding as important versus not important, um, what we've just come to accept, which we need to stop accepting. Um, you know, when uh, kids who are begging groceries in the grocery store are considered essential workers uh, and yet are making, you know, $12 an hour, we need to talk about that. And they just had their, had their emergency pay rolled back. And just had their emergency pay rolled back, correct? Um, you know, my daughter uh, worked in a dairy the entire time. She worked up to 40 hours a week during the pandemic um, because other people wouldn't, didn't want, weren't able to work. Um, you know, we need to be taking a look and really, you know, those are key jobs. And, and we, I think there's a shift in our, in our mentality as well of uh, what, who, how we need such diversity of work in our communities in order to make our communities work. I'm going to say that as a parent, too, we can safely say that the pandemic has, 
blown right out of the water a lot of the myths people have about teachers and their breaks <laughs> and, you know, they're overpaid. I think we can safely say most parents think that you deserve every break you get. Probably vastly underpaid right now. Uh, and, you know, that, it, and it's true because, like, for instance, I represent a group of people, the average wage of the members that we represent is $38,000 a year. So starting Friday, the majority of my members, 70% of our members are women. And starting on Friday, 60% of our members will be laid off without pay at all. Um, And so, you know, that's just, you know, you're right. Like, I think people are like, oh, I now get what they do for a living. Um, But it's just something that we need to be taking a look and saying, like, you know, what's going on in our society? And are are we truly um, evaluating positions properly, right? And and I think that's what we're starting to see. When you hear about defund the police, I often have to remind people, it doesn't mean we stop paying for them completely. It's just we fund them in conjunction with everything else that we fund. Exactly. And that's, that's a, a topic that's very hard for some people to understand, but it's an important one that we need to be taking a look at and saying, at the end of the day, um, how are we ensuring that, you know, the care work that is happening in our society um, is allowing people to actually live. A great majority of care workers, a majority of which are women, are actually below the poverty level. And it's important to, to lose that, you know, us and them distinction. And it really is a we uh, a scenario we. here. Teachers are parents. They, you know, they live in this society as well. They don't go to some special little bubble at the end of the day. <laughs> they, were, they were grappling with all the things we all were. Uh, oh, and many, many tears. Like, uh, it was very uh, common. I do like a, a weekly Facebook Live for our members. And it was not uncommon for, you know, me to hear of people who had sat down and just cried for the full day because they were trying so hard to support the students that they work with, but also try and support their own kids at home. And they were maybe dealing with parents who were, you know, needed them to go get groceries because they couldn't leave the home. It just was overwhelming. And, uh, and I know that we're not unique. I, you know, I think everyone was kind of grappling with the same sort of, of pressures. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's really taught, it taught me a lot about myself. Uh, it taught me a lot about the folks that I have the honor of representing. Um, but it also taught me a lot about our community and, and when we are needed, you know, I, it amazed me how many education workers were doing all that. And then I was seeing pictures of them sewing masks into the middle of the night, uh, because people needed masks. I just, it was over whelmed with the generosity of the folks that I represent. It, it really was, to me, it was a uh, testament to that, you know, teaching is a calling. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it really, you know, I, like I said, my, my daughter's teachers this year just blew my mind right <laughs> up until the very end. I'm like, I am trying. <laughs> yeah. And well, they and, and everything they could to get her. And they did, you know, they got her, they got her over that, that finish line. And that's huge. And I know that they will take that as a win. And I know that my daughter takes it as a win. And one of the one most wonderful things that I've seen recently was, you know, we, as much as parents are worried about you want your child to do the best, I think the one thing that we have to remember is that all children were living through the pandemic at the same time. Right. And not all with the same comfort level as well. Not with so all the same comfort level. A little level. grace, a little empathy. A little grace, a little empathy. And recognize that educators, whether they be EAs, whether they be secretaries, library workers, custodians, teachers, we 
it is a calling for all of us. And we will be ready in September to welcome your children back. And we will work together on building a new normal. And I think that's what's really important for parents to, to recognize is that we all have come through this together and we'll all get through it together as we move forward. Wonderful. So if people want to stay updated then on how things are progressing through the summer, uh, where's the best place for them to go? Uh, so you can follow us at OSBCU, CSCSO, um, on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, we often have Facebook Lives on there. We also have a webpage, www.osbcu.ca, uh, where we post things that are going on. Um, I also would encourage people, look at that, the phone that I think is on silent. <laughs> uh, the, we also encourage people to follow our um, qp.on.ca, which is our provincial body. Um, we're very fortunate. We represent a wide variety of folks, including uh, municipal workers, social service workers, hospital workers, long-term care workers. And so we have a lot of great information, not just about education workers, but other members of the community as a whole that you may want to follow along with as well. Okay, incredible. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope, that, I hope that you and the 55,000 people you are representing right now get a small little... <laughs> Very restorative break this summer. We will try. We will try. We always do. <laughs> I think every parent in Ontario can say you very much deserve it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Come on a journey like no other where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.